Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents, and welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investing Podcast. I'd like to introduce you to Pauline Chalmers. Thanks, Frank. Lovely to be here, although I'm a little bit croaky today, so you might hear me cough or go quiet or even sneeze. <laughs> I'm really pleased to be here. We'll look forward to that, Pauline. Thank you so much. And myself, Frank Flegg, founder of Ethical Property Partners. So, Pauline, today's topic is how do you build rapport with vendors and why should you build rapport with vendors? So let's start with the second one first. Why is it important? You you run EPP in England and Wales. Why is it important for us to build trust? I, I use rapport and trust interchangeably. Trust and rapport with prospective vendors and actual vendors it's critical actually because many of our our vendors may not yet be on the market in selling their property um frequently we're direct to vendor we we do buy on market properties but quite often direct to vendor so they're not aware of us until we connect to them however that might be um and it, it means that we we quickly gain their trust through this, the steps that we follow. And, and like everything in EPP is very systemized, but it's it's really critical so that we can have them feel comfortable. So first of all, they can make a decision. They've got to, they trust us and then they can make a decision about the offer that we make. So our, our model in, in that sort of instance is, is that we obtain really good discounts. Um, we, source, we source below market value properties. And... Quite often we do deals that no one else can do, that they've been sitting on the market for months, if not years, and people have looked at them and passed them by. But it's that level of rapport that we have with the vendor that enables us to find out what they want and what they need and why they need it, that enables us to construct um, a solution for them that we can buy their properties. So it's very lucrative for us to do it. I think it makes it easier to do more deals and better deals having rapport with vendors i think it makes it more lucrative for us absolutely more profitable as you say but also it's more enjoyable mm. if you're if you've got strong relationships with the people that you're working with whether that's your team your suppliers or your clients in this case your vendors then it makes you know i, I phone up my vendors and say you know how you doing mate and have a nice chat on whatsapp with them etc so um some of them have even come and had had a look at properties after I've bought them. So after I've finished my refurb, I've had vendors come and um, take a look afterwards and um, and celebrate how nice we've made their property. And that can be six months, a year, a year later. So I think, yeah, there's there's many reasons for building good rapport with our vendors. And they're not, I think people often, or traditional investors rather, often view building relationship with the vendor as a nice to have as a little bonus but you and I know Pauline that actually it is integral to doing a sophisticated deal Mm. if you don't have a relationship with the vendor you're going to get the same deal that everyone else has you're not going to get a super duper deal and most deals that I 
present on and I go around the country presenting. I know you were presenting Friday and Saturday last week down in London. When we're presenting deals, the reaction that we often get is, no way, that's amazing. How have you achieved that? Where, or, or more often, where did you find that deal? Because they think there's something special about the property or something special about the vendor, but there isn't. There's something special about the relationship with the vendor. And that's why I'm excited about today's podcast, because it's that relationship that makes the deals amazing. I was speaking to Amanda, your business partner, earlier today, and she was telling me how this afternoon she's going to see, I think she said it was a three million pound property, where the vendors already had a higher offer. But the vendor has said, I would rather sell it to you, Amanda. And the vendor knows it's going to be at a significant discount or it's going to be over a significant period of time, you know, many years that she'll be paid for the property. But she still wants Amanda and her business partners to go and meet with her to explain the offer because she she feels more comfortable mm. That's with, it, exactly. With Amanda. Yeah. She yeah. trusts Amanda. She wants to help Amanda. The number of um, vendors I've bought from, and they're almost blessing my business by giving me a great deal, and they're quite happy about that. And that that's impossible if they don't know you. They can't care about you and want to contribute to your business if they don't know you. And so it starts with that. It's the no like trust, isn't it? It's that... Um, uh, saying and and some of those cliches that get overused they're cliches for a reason and you do need to get to know your your vendor you have to get uh, get to a point where they like you and then they'll trust you and then you can do deals that no one else can can do so I think the why is really clear you can do no money down deals you can do deals where you get 20 30 40 50% discount when you buy them you can do deals where you control a property for a decade on a pound option there's a million and one ways that you can do amazing deals if the relationship is strong enough with the vendor so we've got the the why have you got anything to add to that Pauline yeah um you're, you're absolutely right about Amanda's deal um and that we're looking at because it's it and she has said that that it's due to her confidence and wanting to work with someone that she likes and feels connected to. And we see that regularly, not just in that scenario, but also in um, situations where we've gone out to do a help visit with a vendor, made the offer, and our offer is less than they've been offered by by someone else, usually a national company. And the vendor, you know, our offer might be, 75% they might be getting 80% of the value of the property from from our comp, what we perceive to be our competition which isn't actually our competition because it's a different setup but they think it's our competition and they accept our offer even though they're getting less money because of the rapport the relationship the trust the confidence that they feel in us that we're going to complete in the deal and not renege or change it at a later date and that comes down to us building rapport with them right from the very start absolutely absolutely so how how do you build that level of trust that level of rapport that level of relationship with someone you've never met before Pauline 
if you think about the rapport curve, and I don't know if some of the listeners are familiar with the rapport curve, it's kind of difficult to do it on an audio when it's normally a visual <laughs> diagram. So. We have covered it before on the podcast, <laughs> oh, but I think okay. it's so integral to sophisticated property investing. I think it's well worth uh, talking about again, for sure. Yeah. So it's um, there's two axes on the rapport curve. Across the bottom is time, and up the left-hand side is trust. And what we're looking to do is to build the trust level as quickly as possible to reach a point where that vendor, whoever we're selling to, is has the ability to say yes. And where that level of trust needs to get to varies depending on what you're, what, what you're selling. We're selling our service that we offer them, which is that we guarantee to buy their property. We guarantee that they'll only deal with us, those types of things. Um, and we, we can do it quickly if that's what they require. Not all vendors need that, so some want it slowly, so we match their timescales. So depending on what you're buying or selling, if we're buying something, as if we're the buyer, my level of trust needs to get, you know, it's much lower if I'm buying something that's much less value to me. So if I was buying an item of food, say I wanted to have some fast food and I wanted a burger or something, my decision, and this quite often is instinctive, people don't really see this, is that the decision-making that we apply is instinctive. So if I compare buying a burger off a burger van as opposed to buying a burger off someone in the street that, that doesn't isn't set up quite as well, they might just have a table and it could be a, a child, for example, that's made a burger and is selling them for half the price of what you might get from a burger van. Or even with one of the mainstream fast food joints, you know, if you compare those three, what I expect to get, the, the quality and how I'm going to trust them to deliver what I want will vary between each of them. And, you know, just the trust that I have in the, the child on the street corner isn't high enough for me to buy from them. It seems too high risk. The trust I have in a burger van, you know, providing it appears um, hygienic, for example, you know, it's got stainless steel, the guy's hands look clean, um, it, it's well set up, then that might be something that I do. But, but the value of my trust in them needs to reach a certain point, but it's you can imagine it's much, much less lesser amount than someone coming into my house where I'm going to sell my house to them. So how we but how we build trust would be exactly the same in all in all scenarios. Um, you want to treat people well. You want to be respectful um, when you meet them. So the golden rule is treat people how you want to be treated. So I, I want to treat people automatically, very instinctively treat people how I want to be treated. Whereas we apply the platinum rule, treat people how they want to be treated. So it's not based on what I want, it's what their values um, and their beliefs are, that I want to treat them in that way, to, to be respectful of them, to their values. Um, and that that's really the basis of the rapport curve. You know, when you're treating people how they want to be treated, they respond in a very positive way to you because they they connect you in a different way. They, they, you're more like them. They feel more comfortable. And that's necessary in order to for them to get to the line that has them say yes to our service. To recap where we've got to so far, you've got a level of trust that's required in order to buy a product or service. So to pay £5 for a burger someone who's dressed scruffily who hasn't washed their hands who's stood on a street corner holding two 
burgers wrapped in tinfoil saying, do you want a burger? It's only £2.50. You're probably not going to have enough trust unless <laughs> you've just stumbled out of the desert and you're absolutely ravenous. You're probably not going to buy that burger from that person. You think, do you know what? I'm not quite sure about that. You've not subconsciously you'll be thinking you've not quite exceeded my level of rapport required to part <laughs> with £2.50 for a burger or rather to put that burger in my mouth <laughs> um, compared to the burger van where I have to admit like I've been at a, uh, a car boot sale before and the um, operator of the van you know it's got you know Fred's burgers or whatever on on the top of it and I can see other people buying burgers etc um, but I've looked at Fred himself and it's a hot summer's day sweating buckets he's wearing a scruffy t-shirt you know and I think oh am I gonna am I gonna regret eating this burger or not um compared to going to McDonald's and we're not talking about quality of food but we know that McDonald's has probably got really high hygiene standards and really strong systems and it's going to be a safe uh, burger that you're buying and you know you're buying it for £4.89 or, or whatever it is and so number one is going to fail to get high enough to make the sale number two is probably going to get above the, the the level depending on how much trust you require some people would say no absolutely not I'd never buy from an unbranded vendor or, you know you don't know that they've had those burgers in the fridge for a week or whatever and then you've got a um a high street chain where you you know global chain where you think yeah most people are going to trust them enough to part with some money so that's a really simple uh, illustration of rapport and you might be thinking well where's the curve come on, come into this we'll, we'll get onto that in a moment but when you're talking about buying someone's house and this is where people sometimes get confused if i'm buying their house and i'm buying the burger don't they have to persuade me don't they have to build trust with me the burger seller if he doesn't build enough trust i don't buy his burger but what people miss is when we're buying properties in a sophisticated manner, we're selling a solution. We are the vendor of the solution. We are providing the service to them. They are the client and we're the professional. So it's reversed. And so in a retail environment, when you're buying a property on, on Rightmove or, or, or on the market, absolutely, the, the vendor will have to reassure the buyers that they're serious about selling, that they're not going to mess them around, um, that it's going to be a smooth transaction, etc. But in a sophisticated scenario, it's all about us building enough trust with the property seller and if we don't build enough trust they will not go for a sophisticated solution and you and I Pauline can give lots of examples where we've not built enough trust with a vendor even though our solution is absolutely right it's painful to me I can I can remember um, specific examples of people that they will have almost certainly gone bankrupt after I didn't help them. And the reason I failed to help them was not because I didn't have the skills to structure the deal correctly. It's because I didn't have the skills to build a strong enough relationship with them. And some of them, and this is the really painful bit, I look back on and I think, oh, 
if I'd only known then what I know now about personality profiling, about the golden and platinum rule, about the number of touches required to build rapport, which I know we're coming on to in a moment, I, I could have done that deal. I could have helped that vendor to trust me enough for me to solve their problem. So absolutely, it's critical that we get them above that line where they trust us enough to accept our solution. But my question to you now, Pauline, is how do you do it? You know, you, you've never met a vendor before and you're going to, you know, I've, I've bought properties where I've paid a pound and I control the property for the next 15 years. So how on earth do you build that level of rapport with a vendor who you've never met before and perhaps they've never even heard of you before? There's two things. It's what you do and who you're being with it. So if if we look at what you're doing, then we're very specific around how we respond to vendors, how, how we create a professional impression. I love that saying, by the way. Sorry, I've just talked over you, Pauline. I just (laughs) wanted to, um, I'm just processing. It's what you do and who you're being. I love that. Such a good saying. I've never heard that before. Please do elaborate. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) I was about to, Frank, until you so rudely interrupted. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) I just, you know how you mull something over and then I was like, that's really good. I shouldn't have been so surprised, Pauline, I know. (laughs) You say lots of really quality stuff, but but that was especially good. Carry on. (laughs) It starts with what you're doing, right? So we're always being, so I'll come on to that in a second, but how, what we do, so... The vendor doesn't know us. They've had whatever marketing that's landed in front of them that they've responded to. And when they respond, you know, first of all, we're property investors. That's not high up the chain of recognised professionals, isn't it? Or if it is, it sits more along with politicians and double-glazing salesmen. Nothing that's against either of those, but that's kind of where we sit. So we want to elevate us as a as a profession in their eyes so we're very specific about how we manage them we want when they call us we have um set up that they call us and that person answers the phone to them and takes a message we're not we're not available that's how we set it up and but they talk to a real person based in the uk and immediately it's like oh it's a real person so from that we've got their details and then we call them back and we, we we position it as not in scarcity, so we could call them back really quickly because that you meant that I want to create, provide a great service. But actually, we call them back the same day, but not immediately, and that's part of our process. So everything is systemized. And when we call them back, we ensure that we call them from our own personal mobile. So they've called our office number, and we call them back from our own personal mobiles. And again, that sets it up where they. The, the the view of us goes up because you know it's like if you get with withheld numbers I don't answer withheld numbers so I want this I want the vendor to speak to me immediately and I call them back and then I start into who I'm being at that point in time so I'm being really professional really warm with them and following the EP, EPP script and within that phone call my job if you like is to find out what their pain points are and create an understanding of what they want and what they need and make an offer. So, you know, we, we've got our, our calls are usually about 15 minutes long and we, we create a great environment for them so that they can be really open with us. Um, and we use 
I don't know if you probably talked previously about disk profiling. We, we use our knowledge around disk profiling right from the get-go because what we're listening for is what disk profile are they? How quickly do they speak? Are they being really clipped with us? So I'm thinking, are they going to be a high D or a high C at that point in time, in which is a bit more factual? Or are they a high S or a high I, in which case I'll be a bit more warm and fluffy with them. And from there, we've we've got a vendor. We're very clear about the offer we make and the service we provide. And in doing so, we make the offer and then they can ponder it and say yes or no to it. So the whole way what we're looking to do is increase the curve on the chart, if you like, up to the point where we're in the front room and we make an offer and they say yes to us, make a firm offer and they say yes to us. So these little points, you know, starting at minus zero or at least on zero, where they have some marketing from us and they call us, but we've got a, you know, a, a UK-based person, we then call them back and we're very professional. And of course, then we follow up with a letter at that point in time. So everything's designed to improve that our elevation on that curve towards where they um, get to say yes to us when we're in the front room with them. For the guys listening, they're, they're hearing that there are multiple touches where you're interacting with the vendor at different intervals. The question I have, Pauline, is how do you see, because this is all systemized in EPP, but I appreciate some of the guys listening aren't, uh, well, the vast majority of the people listening aren't in EPP, so they haven't got access to those systems, which begs the question, why aren't you guys? Why aren't you in EPP? Why aren't you using our systems to do these deals? But I'll leave you to mull that over. Um, (laughs) So, Pauline, the principle every EPP partner knows about, how have you seen people stuff it up in the past? Oh, not using the system um, is the first thing. They, 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 they deviate on it, they drop, they drop some of the system. So we've talked about DISC, but we also consider VAK, visual, auditory and kinesthetic, how people like to be touched in terms of our communication. Um, and we've talked about the platinum rule. So you want people... You want to engage in people how they like to be engaged with. So someone's very, and we don't know always up front what their biases might be. So we vary it. So the, the first thing I would say is not using the system would be, would be the, you know, they the, the miss out some steps. They think, oh, that's not important. I don't know why I called the vendor the day before. That doesn't make any sense. Um, I want to skip that part of the process. And we're not phoning the vendor to, um, reconfirm the appointment because we're, the appointment is going to go ahead but we're putting a touch in there so we, again we, we, we come up the rapport curve and we maintain ourselves on the rapport curve so we have a high level of rapport and trust when we walk into their house and we're not back down at ground zero because we're back down at ground zero then it's much harder to build the rapport in the room with them if we start if we start from that point. So in terms of what they stuff up, I think the first thing is not following the system and missing out steps. Um, and the second thing is when they're brand new, not using the, the support that's available to them in improving their expertise. So we all start wherever we start. We've all got a certain level of communication and we... we we apply Kaizen to everything. We want to improve on ourselves every step of the of our journey and our property journey. So it's, you know, we, we have the ability to evaluate the calls that have been 
been made, our, our telephone fact find, that initial call when the vendors called us and we call them back, we want to hear what's being said so that it we can um, help guide our franchisees, help guide them on to improve their skill set. So that's one of the things that we offer. And you can really hear it, why, how people stuff up, where they're either not warm enough with the vendor or they haven't matched the disc profile. They're, um, because what happens quite early on in someone's journey is that they, they begin to know themselves in their disc profile, but they're not so adept at reading someone else's. So, and we, and we can catch and tweak that with them. Um, and then the second thing is really that they try and go alone. We've got a huge amount of support. So we always recommend that when you're going to see a, a vendor the first few times, take someone with you, someone that's really experienced and adept at building rapport really well with a vendor, that you utilise those services that we have available. So it's always tricky when you're starting out because you don't know where you're at. Um, so I would tap into, that, that's what happens with our, our partners, but anyone else looking at it, you want to tap into the skills of those around about you that you might have a gap in yours and you want to be able to improve on that. We've got loads of touches and we've got, uh, and that always makes me laugh, touching vendors, but you know what I mean, loads of interactions with vendors. Um, and we're doing different types of interactions. So uh, what examples are can you give us, Pauline, of, of how we would communicate with a vendor during that sales process prior to sign up? Yeah, so I've, I've touched on VAK, so visual auditory and kinesthetic. And if you think about how, how people communicate, there's a lot of um, device messages. I mean, lots of, I don't know, maybe so much about text, but WhatsApp messages, etc. And there's a language within that, that that a lot of people use casually. So a text is one way that um, we might communicate with someone because it's very quick, it's immediate for them to see it. And it's a different, it's an unusual, um, slightly less professional, but quite a warm and friendly method of communicating with them. We have phone calls with them. I talked about the phone call initially. And we also write to them. So following the initial telephone call, we confirm, even if we get a no from the vendor, the initial no, we still write to them. We send them a lovely professional letter. We're very specific about how it's addressed, how the envelope's written, etc and I've had it where I had a phone call with a, a vendor where they said yes on the initial call they were quite happy to accept the offer and we booked it for the future which suited them to have it a few days later go out and meet them and, and professionally value the property and firm up the offer and then two days later I, I missed the call and they, they phoned me back on my mobile and I picked up the voicemail which said uh, we've changed our mind but we want to cancel the appointment tomorrow I thought, fine, okay. And then no sooner, like 10 minutes had passed from that, when I got another voicemail message saying, actually, we've just had your letter and we'd like to reinstate the appointment tomorrow. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I was amazed. And so that there <laughs> is an example of the amount of trust required for the different stages of the um, sale. So your marketing has to be good enough to build enough trust that the vendor picks up the phone and calls you. Your rapport building has to then be good enough on the telephone answering when they call, so your your virtual PA, your telephone call to them, 
and your letter to them in order to build enough trust that they'll let you into their own home. And clearly you didn't have enough trust from the virtual PA and the initial telephone fact find because although they booked in, they then had second thoughts, buyer's remorse and and backed out. But then when they got the letter, it gave them that reassurance. It had your address on it, it's letter-headed paper, professionally written, use their name, etc. I know all of this because <laughs> you follow the system. And then it gave them that trust and they felt safe and comfortable enough to invite you back into their home which is fascinating and then you have another layer level then of trust which is the ultimate level of trust which is the 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 trust required to accept your offer and we often say that unless you're in someone's house for an hour you may as well not bother making your offer and the number of people that walk in and spend 10 or 15 minutes with someone and then make their offer and walk out is is unbelievable in traditional investing, but you can't possibly know enough about their situation to solve it in 10 or 15 minutes. And people sometimes misinterpret that hour uh, goal, thinking that, well, that's high pressure. You're, you know, you're not leaving their house until they've signed. And it's nothing of the kind. It's a natural, relaxed conversation to get to know them properly, to build trust and rapport with them in order to maximize the chance of them feeling comfortable with us when we make our offer. And if they trust us enough and are comfortable with us, they are then far more likely to accept our offer that solves their problem than if we don't build enough trust and we make the offer too quickly and they say no because instinctively they're not yet comfortable with us. And I think those two levels of, or two or three levels of trust that I've, that we've just were outlined in that rapport curve description are absolutely critical. Now, Pauline, when you've signed up a deal, so the vendor says yes, and it could be, um, in fact, I completed on one recently. I completed on one uh, recently where the value of the property was £200,000 and the vendor accepted £138,000 for it. So decent discount. Um, it was a five-bed HMO. It uh, was fully tenanted, so quite a nice little learner, actually. Uh, we've just taken it on tenanted. Now, the level of trust required to get that vendor to sign up was fairly high, as you would expect. So they've decided to go with a law firm that we've recommended to them which again takes a higher level of trust. Mm -hmm. They've accepted our offer of 138 um, and they've signed all of our paperwork. And as you know, our paperwork's about a thick, uh, an inch thick, so quite a lot there. Take a bit of time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's another hour, isn't it? It's an hour um, building the rapport and making the offer and it's another hour then to sign up all the paperwork. But my question to you, Pauline, is, is that the end of the rapport curve? Oh my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> so most people think that's the end of the sale. So why are you laughing and saying, no, it continues? It's the, perhaps the first report curve, if you like. And then you've got another line to get over or get to with the vendor where you know, conveyancing these days, it can be a little bit challenging. Mortgage lending is can be very slow. Um, solicitors 
due to COVID and shortages of staff, etc. Across the whole of the legal system, there's less people working in, in the legal profession, then conveyancing can be slower than, than it was three years ago, for example. So we know that we, we need to maintain and continue to build that trust with the vendor so that they, when we hit those potholes, they work with us, but on the same team to solve them rather than opposing sides. Absolutely. If you look at that property, and I deliberately chose that property because I, that well, I say I, it was my team, signed that property up. I've never seen it actually, bought it a few weeks ago, but never actually seen it. That was signed up 14 months ago. And you think, how on earth has it taken that long? And <laughs> I've asked myself that a few times. But the long and short of it was um, we were just unlucky. We The first mortgage application turned it down because they said it was two dwellings, but it wasn't two dwellings. It was on one title. Um, the, the next uh, mortgage application said that it was in uh, too poor repair, state of repair, despite the fact that it was fully tenanted and we hadn't had any issues. It was a licensed property. Um, the... And then we had some issues with the final lender was happy to lend. I think we had three valuations on it in the end. The final lender was happy to lend, but it transpired that the electrical certificate was out of date. So we had to get another electrical certificate, which then highlighted some electrical issues that needed doing. So we then had to do some electrical work. And we're trying to do all this as quickly as we can on, for, the, for the vendor who, uh, who had some of his own um, issues going on and, and his own situation to to deal with and so yeah it took 14 months now the number of times that deal nearly fell through because the vendor got frustrated understandably um the the goalposts were moved either by lawyers or by um the mortgage lenders we had a planning issue on it where we weren't seeking any planning but it didn't have clear planning consent so we had to go and get a certificate of lawful use i think that's what it's called um from the local authority which took i think that took three months all on its own uh before the mortgage lender was happy to lend so really unlucky that so many things went wrong on that transaction most of which were largely outside of our control but the reason he hung he hung in there and the, the guys responded to a um a piece of marketing that said we'll buy your property swiftly it wasn't a a particularly sophisticated transaction it was just a bmv purchase but um the level of relationship required by my team i did step in at one point and talk to him uh, for about two months in the middle i stepped in and yeah just just to show that I cared and that I wasn't hiding behind my team. Uh, and then I handed him back to um, someone else on my team, actually, because he'd lost confidence in the first person. But again, when you're talking about touches and, and having world-class relationships with your vendors, and that is world-class to keep that vendor happy, to the extent that I sent him a congratulatory message on the um, on the day that it completed. And I said, you know, thank you so much for your patience. We got there in the end. Um, congratulations. Um, and he, he responded saying, thank you so much. Um, all the best for the future. And I thought that's amazing given that he was hoping for one or two months and it ended up taking 14 for us to have managed and invested in that relationship 
to the extent that he's thanking us and is happy at the end of 14 months is quite remarkable. And, and I think that's because we communicate frequently with our vendors. So this is post sign up. We communicate frequently, we communicate factually, and that's very important, not telling them what they want to hear, but telling them what's actually happening. And we are available to them when they need to contact us. And if you tick those three boxes with your vendors, having followed the principles of the rapport curve, which we've covered today, you're on really firm ground when then doing sophisticated transactions because the vendors are going to trust you. They're going to, often our vendors trust us more than their own solicitors whom they're paying to represent their best interest. You know, we're the other side in inverted commas, but they often will trust us more because we've just invested in them more. We've sat and had cups of tea with them. We've um, listened to them. We've explained things to them. And so when the solicitor says, you need to be nervous about this, you need to be cautious, Often they'll phone us and say, my solicitor's saying I should be careful about this, but I trust you completely, Frank. Can you um, can you just tell me what they're going on about? And I'll say, oh, yeah, they're just doing their job. Um, the, the risk that they're talking about is a real risk. Um, you know, an unscrupulous purchaser might do X, Y, Z in the transaction, but I can reassure you, uh, Mr. Vendor, that um, I have no intention of doing that. You know, I wouldn't have all the testimonials I have. I wouldn't have the reputation that I have. If, um, if I did that to a single vendor and, oh yeah, I knew that. Uh, I know that you're solid, Frank, you know, no problem at all. That's great. I'll tell them that I'm happy to go ahead. That's a very common conversation that we have with vendors. So yeah, I think that relationship building is important all the way through, Pauline. Have you got anything to add to that before we wrap up? One test of it is, and I, and I found this out with my, my vendors is, is that they know how to make your cup of tea. So, you, you know, I, I found that I, uh, before COVID and um, obviously because they weren't making my cups of tea in COVID, we were having Zoom, Zoom calls with them. But, you know, I had a transaction that took nine months to go through and I touched base with them every month. It was on their side to sort some stuff out. And I would go around and, it, and um, the vendor would open the door to me and say, hi, I'd love to see you. Do you want a cup of tea? And he'd go and make my cup of tea without me telling him how I wanted it because he remembered. And I thought, oh, that's just lovely that, we have that level of trust and rapport that we're both moving towards the same goal. So it's just one benchmark. Um, and you talked about it at the beginning. It makes it more fun. When you really get to to be with, with your vendor, and, and they're all different. So some of them, um, you're being with them a bit more than others, but it's it's having, it, it makes it more fun to, to have the transaction go much more smoothly um, and even and the part of the fun as well as you've talked about in that transaction that took 14 months, all those bumps in the road that you hit, all those potholes, that's they're quite interesting to deal with. You know, you can deal with them and you can you can mitigate them perhaps the next time you can see it coming. So I just think it's it's a win for us for sure. But also the vendors, we get a huge amount of recommendations from our vendors and referrals to other vendors frequently but you know their, their friends and family might say I'm thinking of selling my house and they refer them to us they only do that because of their experience with us so um yeah it's more fun is what I would add guys I hope that's been of use to you we um are massive believers in um 
building really strong relationships with our vendors and indeed our investors as well but that's a podcast for another day if you would like us to help you with any of the transactions you have going on at the moment if you're trying to structure a sophisticated transaction and you're not sure how to to do that with a vendor or if you have a transaction that you're struggling to get across the line and you think actually a stronger relationship with the vendor would really help we're experts at stepping in and and um forming those really strong relationships quickly we do it all the time do get in touch we'd love to uh, we'd love to help until next time guys happy investing sophisticated property investing a podcast brought to you by ethical property partners the experts in sophisticated property investment